Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Simon Anthony and Torty Talks. The NHS is a wonderful institution, an absolutely brilliant plan that has saved hundreds, probably millions of people uh, from long-term illness and early death. Up until recently. Recently, though, despite the fact that the people employed by the NHS are diligent, hardworking, self-sacrificing people, their ability to perform as well as we would like has been limited hugely by circumstance and funding and by organizational problems born of the fact that the whole process of setting up the admin for the NHS has been higgledy piggledy, hodgepodge, make do and mend, <laughs> fell together piece by piece, sort of accidentally on a local basis. This means that I have got, personally, about four, maybe five different sets of medical records. And these do not seem to be in any way related or relatable. Now, this is extraordinary because different sections of the NHS have got their own bit. And because they're individual sections with their own individual local admin, um, they've got to have uh, systems set up to enable security of private information between between the areas, but unfortunately, uh, it is considered that it is uh, important under the Protection of Data Act to ensure that nobody is told anything about anything whatsoever. This was not the intention, but this has been the side effect of a very important and sensible set of rulings, which themselves have been thrown together accidentally out of pieces that seemed like a good idea at the time. Now, there is a medical record-keeping system called EPIC, which is being used by the University of London Hospital, uh, which is one of the more recent hospitals I have been uh, investigated for potential uh, thyroid and lung cancer. Now, they have been investigating that because when I went to um, find out what on earth was meaning that I had to be rushed to hospital with breathing problems. See a previous <laughs> recorded on the spot podcast of this made two years ago. They did a scan and discovered lumps in my lung. Now I have <laughs> been told that those lumps in my lung have not in any way resulted in any problem breathing. And also, um, it was discovered that I have a, an enlarged thyroid, at least half of same. And that also apparently has not affected um, anything to do with my daily life. I have symptoms. I have massive symptoms, but of something the NHS has only just thought up a name for. Well, we thought of it and they picked it up long COVID. Now, Looking for things, you will find things. They looked for something and found something they recognized and immediately thought, well, I've got to do something about this, which is a fairly reasonable sort of thing to achieve under most circumstances. 
until you look at the facts. The statistics of overdiagnosis and overtreatment, which was done by the BBC in two programs, associated programs, one an Horizon program and another about it um, on Radio 4, um, oh gosh, the numbers program on Radio 4. But anyway, this showed that when an ailment is discovered by the NHS that they know what to do about, they will do it. Whether or not the person is suffering from the effects of having got whatever it is they've spotted. And it is extremely difficult to detect, to deduce whether or not they ever would suffer from something. Uh, so it's taken a very long time and a great deal of investigation and number crunching to come up with some figures that show that apparently, I underline this hugely, that uh, things like thyroid cancer are overdiagnosed by a huge degree, like sort of uh, only two people in 100 actually needed an operation. This has been deduced by the uh, comparative death rates from thyroid cancer, um, and this is uh, assumed to be a similar situation with other cancers. Now... The side effects of having various cancer operations can be huge, not, not for thyroid. Um, I realize this, this, uh, this, this, this fact, but it seems that because specialists in the NHS have to be specialist, narrow field specialists who cannot possibly treat the entire person. Um, because the amount of knowledge is vastly too great and they would not be any good at treating the specific ailment if they had to spend their life, spread their skills out over everything else. Other specialists are for that. Now, it would be good if we had a generalist that could cover everything and then farm off bits to the specialists and then get those specialists to interact in a way. But is so that uh, um, interactions between various treatments, uh, various procedures, and various uh, everything's could be ascertained and, and and stuff. This is vastly too complex a task to have been sorted out by Victorian, effectively record keeping systems. Now, though, we have got computers and this epic system has been sorted out at great expense by an American company, so I have been informed, and it works. But it only covers one particular set of my medical notes. If all the medical notes were glued together, there would be an holistic view of mine or indeed everybody else's personal, individual um, as, as a medical situation. Data can be now collected from things like my mobile phone that just went bing to remind me to take a pill. And this information can be stored and processed by artificial intelligence, the, the sort of artificial intelligence that can recognize my voice and make it speak. Uh, <laughs> and 
take text and speak in my voice without me having to record anything further after having trained it. This level of artificial intelligence is capable of recognizing patterns not only in speech, but in terms of um, uh, ailments and things that people have no idea to look for, let alone have the ability and skills or time or tools to discover that a mind-numbingly fast artificial processing system can do this, and indeed is. Now, this should be funded. AI expert systems pulling together all the expertise of the brilliant specialists that we have got, pulling them together and being able to get them to reduce their workload effectively, target their skills more effectively, be able to reduce the waiting list vastly for various things when it is recognized that uh, a symptom like that does not necessarily result in an end uh, like something else. <laughs> uh, uh, pigeonholes can be either made very, very wide or down to the size of the individual <laughs> and not just say, oh, it's the heart and then say, right, you've got a heart, you've got a heart, you're male, you're female, you're a child, <laughs> you're Australian, you're Aboriginal or something else and every heart be treated the same but every individual to be treated based on the knowledge that has been accumulated over the decades of diligent work. Now, this is possible. This will happen. And I'm waiting for it. Until then, I've just exhausted myself running through that list of things. I go to, I go to sleep. <laughs> and they have to thank you kindly. Here is Gerard Hoffnung reading some replies he received to his holiday inquiries written in English by Tyrolean landlords. Dear madam, this was to my wife. <laughs> I am honourable <laughs> to accept your impossible request. <laughs> Unhappy it is, I here have not bedroom with bath. A bathroom with bed, I have. <laughs> I can, though, give you a washing. <laughs> with pleasure. In a most clean spring with no person to see. I insist that you will like this. <laughs> Honoured, this is another letter to me. <coughs> I am amazing diverted by your entreaty for a room. <laughs> I can offer you a commodious chamber. <laughs> with a balcony imminent. <laughs> 
to the Romantic Gorge, and I hope you want to drop in. <laughs> A vivacious stream washes my doorsteps. <laughs> so do not concern yourself that I am not too good in bath. I am superb in bed. <laughs> Sorrowfully, I cannot abide your otter. <laughs> Standing, this is, this is it, having freshly taken over the propriety of this notorious house. <laughs> I am wishful that you remove to me your esteemed costume. <laughs> Standing among savage scenery, the hotel offers stupendous revelations. <laughs> there is a French widow in every bedroom. <laughs> Affording delightful prospects. <laughs> I give personal look to the interior wants of each guest. Yeah, you shall be well fed up and, agree <laughs> and agreeably drunk. Our charges for weekly visitors are scarcely creditable. <laughs> Our motto is, ever serve you right. Well, that's about it for today. Oh, there's a very hazard a guess at how the Queen is spending today. Do you know, at this very moment, Her Majesty is probably exercising the royal prerogative. What's that then, Pete? Don't you know the royal prerogative? It's a wonderful animal, Dad. It's a legendary beast. Half bird, half fish. Half unicorn. Oh, I know. There's one and a half of them left. I remember now. That's right. Yes. There's one and a half left, and it's being exercised at this very moment. Really? Yes. I remember now. Of course. Yes. They feed it on a diet of honey, lychees, and stewed kippers. Yes. It's very choosy, and they also get the royal accolade—a sort of fizzy substance out of bottles. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, the legend has it that ere so long as the royal prerogative lives, <coughs> happiness and laughter will reign throughout this green and pleasant land. And the yeoman will stand firm upon this sceptered isle, Pete. The archers will look out o'er the dales and see happy... <laughs> happy laughing children smiling. And flaxen-haired Anglo-Saxon youths will scan the foam-flecked waves for marauders. Rule Britannia, Britannia rules the waves. Of course it does, Dad. Of course it does, Pete. Well, whether you choose to spend Bank Holiday Monday at home, on holiday, or 
exercising your own prerogative. I hope it's a fruitful day. Score number 67. That was one of the best balls I've seen bowl this morning. Special Jubilee, 1977. North London insisted on celebrating the Silver Jubilee outdoors, watched over by those with memories of street parties in days gone by. Among the thousands of cakes, ice creams and jellies today, one cake achieved 25 tiers, one for each year of the Queen's reign. Assisted by the local fire brigade, the special jubilee cake was carefully erected by the experts, ready for a joyful demolition later. So the 25 years of the Queen's reign are commemorated, as they will be by tomorrow's colourful jubilee procession through the streets of London. And tonight, at Windsor Great Park, the Queen will light the first beacon of more than 100, which will link Windsor with all other parts of Britain. Commonwealth leaders have been gathering in London for their biggest ever conference. Red, Heads of government blue, are here from at least 26 of the 35 thing. member states. At a news oh, conference this afternoon, the Commonwealth Secretary General, Mr. Ramfai, said that, that Southern it. Africa was... I've still got one of them. Well, we finished then with the legs that launched a thousand quips. Forgive me for that one. The moment when an astonished nation discovered that Miss Rippon had shapely pins and not wheels holding her up. Similar revelations are promised in future Morecambe and Wise programmes, and Richard Baker will play the spoons, <laughs> Kenneth Kendall will perform a clog dance, and Peter Woods will remove all of his clothes and prove once and for all that newscasters are human. Until then, you have to make do with Angela's legs from both of them and the three of us. Good night. Now, a huge, huge company of people is assembled around the beacon fire itself and all the surrounding area is jammed. They've been coming throughout the day despite gales of wind and vicious showers of rain, but their spirits had not in the least bit been damped and the crescendo of excitement has mounted steadily. Her Majesty the Queen, uh, Queen Elizabeth the Queen Mother, has had an easier journey with Princess Margaret 
from their lodge nearby in Windsor Great Park, whereas the Queen and the Duke of Edinburgh have, as I say, to come down the thronged long walk from Windsor Castle. And now, from the guts, the depths of my archive, a recording of a sketch by Michael Benteen. And sports to night come from very old English club, the Drunken Duck at Sweething, which is playing the pick and whistle of Myrtlesham in the final of their annual Drats Championship. Drats being one of the oldest games ever to be played in English public houses. Beside me is the landlord, Mr. Crowther. How do you? Uh, Mr. Crowther, we are very interested indeed in this game of Drats. How long have you been playing it? Oh, Drats. Oh, how long? <laughs> you hear that, lads? How long? <laughs> really, as long as that? Yeah, <laughs> well, the boys are just going to play around now. Now, this is Tom Smiley, How do you chief dratter. <laughs> and that thing he's holding is a draft? Uh, oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. A draft. Now, uh, this shark, Tom, uh, well, I... be made of yes, oak. Yes, sir. <laughs> no, sir, not oak. Helm. Elf. I see, not oak. Uh, no, sir, no, sir, not hoak. You'd nurdle for sure if it were hoak. Did you say ah, nurdle? Nurdle, sure. nurdle, nurdle, sir. Yes, indeed. Nurdle, nurdle. I see. Well, uh, tell me, Tom, uh, these things on the end, well, they're, uh, what are they're they? actually... Uh, the uh, thong, thong, sir. Thong, 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 they are. Thong? A safeguard, yes. Against what? Nurdling. Nurdling, sir. A great stranger. Ah, nurdling. Very dangerous. Well, Tom's going to drat now. Well, what's that chap at the door for? He's the lurker, sir. He lurks at the door. He opens the door so Tom can have a free run. Oh, I see. Just a minute. Uh, what's Tom putting his feet in the bucket for? The wetting, sir. In water. The wetting? Are in water, sir. Before the running comes the wetting. Before the running comes the wetting. <laughs> uh, what's he doing now? Well, he's taking up his stance, sir. Opposite the lurker. No, waiting he is. Yeah, waiting. Waiting for what? His signal, sir. Oh, splendid! And there it is, and away goes Tom! Uh, but uh, quiet, please, sir. It's a draft. <laughs> Twenty-four. Twenty-four. Was that good? Oh, very good, sir. Uh, Clean run and very under. A three-point. Quite lad, quite lad. It's a minister's floor. George Smothergoose as the draft. Oh, George, get out, George. He holds it a bit different, doesn't he? Well, he's a south sir. What we call a cat. There goes the bucket. Wait a minute, he's not putting his feet in water. No, sir. Milk. Pig's milk. Smothergoose is an international. Oh. Smothergoose to draft. Signals alerter. What muddle? And there he goes, sir. Seventeen. Ah, oh, seventeen. Yeah. A near nurgle. A near nurgle. You be careful what you say about I Mother Goose. I wonder if I might try a drat. A what? Oh, dra oh, oh, gentlemen from London wants to drat. <laughs> oh, how kind of you. Is that different? <laughs> Here you are, sir. Uh, well, it's Arnold's drat, sir. It's made out of meat. I'll be very meat. careful with it. Now, uh, where's the bucket? No, no, sir. That's for professionals. You do a dry run. You're less likely to nurgle. Now then. Right. Uh, will you give the signals? All right, sir. Easy does it. Wait till the lurker's in position. Muddleberg and London Burke.
me a nerdle. I feel so much better mentally having declined the offer of having my throat slit. Yeah, I just walked downstairs and spoken simultaneously. Yeah, man, you can't do that without collapsing into a breathless heap. Stands to my mind, in my judgment, very little chance of surviving major surgery. And as I am actually recovering from a two-year-long debilitating disease that has lost me my job, uh, lost me quite a bit of self-confidence, and, uh, and has in induced into me the fear of climbing stairs and removed any uh, automatic security in my knowledge of where my physical body might be after any particular and robbed me of uh, mental and verbal fluency to them for the most part. <sighs> you see, I can reel stuff off if I just let the words come out and don't actually think about them as they come. I, the process of creating the things before they leave my mouth is the bit that I get hung up on. If I just speak, the words come out without any problem. But if I have to think about what's going to come next, then I pause and cock it up. And if I know what I'm going to say, it'll just come out. So my improvisation is a combination of the two. If, I, if I've got a thread I can follow, I can just go off and do that. But while I'm actually talking, um, I'm replaying that I just came up with. And while I am speaking, I'm coming up with the next words that I'm going to speak. And so I'm saying the whole thing twice, once in my imagination, and then once mechanically, separated by a second, second and a half, half a second. But when that gets, breaks for some reason, like needing a, the chain collapses and pauses. Now, here I am, and I am copying sounds of me, and, I, and uh, I've got recordings that I can hear very clearly, frankly, saying, what are you recording for? And I reply, posterity. And this is posterity 45 years later. People on those, some people on those tapes have died. Other people on those tapes who are referred to have died. Relationships have formed and broken. People have been born because of those relationships and have themselves had children. It's what I set up my podcast for, to be able to step back into the dim distant past. I was unclear of which particular bit of past I could step back into, but the tapes I have managed to recover cover 1970 six Christmas and New Year on to, well, at the moment we're April 1977. I made a recording every day for that period. 
uh, a diary recording talking about what I did this day. Um, I never took my tape recorder to work at the post office, but uh, as will eventually be um, clear, after 1978, once I joined the BBC, I did occasionally take my machine to work and sleeping out for the proms because I didn't want to leave my tape recorder at, uh, at the proms. I have got some 20 tapes with me. I have got a recording I heard today of my mother playing the piano. I had no idea. I've got a recording of my grandfather, relatives who I can recognize the, the voice, but even at the time was unclear of their names because, you know, I was not very old. I feel mentally rejuvenated by listening to the happy conversation that I had with close family, with my friends. It's magnificent. Going back into the prehistory of my life, <sighs> amazing. And I'm so relieved that I've got an excuse not to go to hospital. That was one in a series of Torty Talks by Simon Anthony, acting at torty.org.uk.